Chapter Eighteen, Part One of A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. Chapter Eighteen, Part One showing how the education which men generally receive in their youth makes the doctrines of humility difficult to be practised the spirit of a better education represented in the character of paternus another difficulty in the practice of humility arises from our education we are all of us for the most part corruptly educated and then committed to take our course in a corrupt world so that it is no wonder if examples of great piety are so seldom seen great part of the world are undone by being born and bred in families that have no religion where they are made vicious and irregular by being like those with whom they have first lived but this is not the thing i now mean the education that i here intend is such as children generally receive from virtuous and sober parents and learned tutors and governors had we continued perfect as god created the first man perhaps the perfection of our nature had been a sufficient self-instruction for every one but as sickness and diseases have created the necessity of medicines and physicians so the change and disorder of our rational nature have introduced the necessity of education and tutors and as the only end of the physician is to restore nature to its own state so the only end of education is to restore our rational nature to its proper state education therefore is to be considered as a reason borrowed at second hand which is as far as it can to supply the loss of original perfection and as physic may justly be called the art of restoring health so education should be considered in no other light than as the art of recovering to man the use of his reason now as the instruction of every art or science is founded upon the discoveries the wisdom experience and maxims of the several great men that have labored in it so human wisdom or right use of our reason which young people should be called to by their education is nothing else but the best experience and finest reasonings of men that have devoted themselves to the study of wisdom and the improvement of human nature all therefore that great saints and dying men when the fullest of light and conviction and after the highest improvement of their reason all that they have said of the necessity of piety of the excellency of virtue of their duty to god of the emptiness of riches of the vanity of the world all the sentences judgments reasonings and maxims of the wisest of philosophers when in their highest state of wisdom should constitute the common lessons of instructions for youthful minds this is the only way to make the young and ignorant part of the world the better for the wisdom and knowledge of the wise and ancient an education which is not wholly intent upon this is as much beside the point as an art of physic that had little or no regard to the restoration of health the youths that attended upon pythagoras socrates plato and epictetus were thus educated their everyday lessons and instructions were so many lectures upon the nature of man his true end and the right use of his faculties 
upon the immortality of the soul its relation to god the beauty of virtue and its agreeableness to the divine nature upon the dignity of reason the necessity of temperance fortitude and generosity and the shame and folly of indulging our passions now as christianity has as it were new created the moral and religious world and set everything that is reasonable wise holy and desirable in its true point of light so one would expect that the education of youth should be as much bettered and amended by christianity as the faith and doctrines of religion are amended by it as it has introduced such a new state of things and so fully informed us of the nature of man the ends of his creation the state of his condition as it has fixed all our goods and evils taught us the means of purifying our souls pleasing god and becoming eternally happy one might naturally suppose that every christian country abounded with schools for the teaching not only a few questions and answers of a catechism but for the forming training and practicing youth in such an outward course of life as the highest precepts the strictest rules and the sublimest doctrines of christianity require an education under pythagoras or socrates had no other end but to teach you to think judge act and follow such rules of life as pythagoras and socrates used and is it not as reasonable to suppose that a christian education should have no other end but to teach youth how to think and judge and act and live according to the strictest laws of christianity at least one would suppose that in all christian schools the teaching youth to begin their lives in the spirit of christianity in such severity of behavior such abstinence sobriety humility and devotion as christianity requires should not only be more but a hundred times more regarded than any or all things else for our education should imitate our guardian angels suggest nothing to our minds but what is wise and holy help us to discover and subdue every vain passion of our hearts and every false judgment of our minds and it is as sober and as reasonable to expect and require all this benefit of a christian education as to require that physic should strengthen all that is right in our nature and remove that which is sickly and diseased but alas our modern education is not of this kind the first temper that we try to awaken in children is pride as dangerous a passion as that of lust we stir them up to vain thoughts of themselves and do everything we can to puff up their minds with a sense of their own abilities whatever way of life we intend them for we apply to the fire and vanity of their minds and exhort them to everything from corrupt motives we stir them up to action from principles of strife and ambition from glory envy and a desire of distinction that they may excel others and shine in the eyes of the world we repeat and inculcate these motives upon them till they think it a part of their duty to be proud envious and vainglorious of their own accomplishments and when we have taught them to scorn to be outdone by any to bear no rival to thirst after every instance of applause to be content with nothing but the highest distinctions then we begin to take comfort in them and promise the world some mighty things from youths of such a glorious spirit if children are intended for holy orders 
we set before them some eminent orator whose fine preaching has made him the admiration of the age and carried him through all the dignities and preferments of the church we encourage them to have these honors in their eye and to expect the reward of their studies from them if the use is intended for a trade we bid him look at all the rich men of the same trade and consider how many now are carried about in their stately coaches who began in the same low degree as he now does we awaken his ambition and endeavor to give his mind a right turn by often telling him how very rich such and such a tradesman died if he is to be a lawyer then we get great counsellors lords judges and chancellors before his eyes we tell him what great fees and great applause attend fine pleading we exhort him to take fire at these things to raise a spirit of emulation in himself and to be content with nothing less than the highest honors of the long robe that this is the nature of our best education is too plain to need any proof and i believe there are few parents but would be glad to see these instructions daily given to their children and after all this we complain of the effects of pride we wonder to see grown men actuated and governed by ambition envy scorn and a desire of glory not considering that they were all the time of their youth called upon to all their action and industry upon the same principles you teach a child to scorn to be outdone to thirst for distinction and applause and is it any wonder that he continues to act all his life in the same manner now if a youth is ever to be so far a christian as to govern his heart by the doctrines of humility i would fain know at what time he is to begin it or if he is ever to begin it at all why we train him up in tempers quite contrary to it how dry and poor must the doctrine of humility sound to a youth that has been spurred up to all his industries by ambition envy emulation and a desire of glory and distinction and if he is not to act by these principles when he is a man why do we call him to act by them in his youth envy is acknowledged by all people to be the most ungenerous base and wicked passion that can enter into the heart of man and is this a temper to be instilled nourished and established in the minds of young people i know it is said that it is not envy but emulation that is intended to be awakened in the minds of young men but this is vainly said for when children are taught to bear no rival and to scorn to be outdone by any of their age they are plainly and directly taught to be envious for it is impossible for any one to have this scorn of being outdone and this contention with rivals without burning with envy against all those that seem to excel him or get any distinction from him so that what children are taught is rank envy and only covered with a name of a less odious sound secondly if envy is thus confessedly bad and it be only emulation that is endeavored to be awakened in children surely there ought to be great care taken that children may know the one from the other that they may abominate the one as a great crime whilst they give the other admission into their minds but if this were to be attempted the fineness of the distinction betwixt envy and emulation would show that it was easier to divide them in words than to separate them in action for emulation when it is defined in its best manner is nothing else but a refinement upon envy 
or rather the most plausible part of that black and venomous passion and though it is easy to separate them in the notion yet the most acute philosopher that understands the art of distinguishing ever so well if he gives himself up to emulation will certainly find himself deep in envy for envy is not an original temper but the natural necessary and unavoidable effect of emulation or a desire of glory so that he who establishes the one in the minds of people necessarily fixes the other there and there is no other possible way of destroying envy but by destroying emulation or a desire of glory for the one always rises and falls in proportion to the other i know it is said in defense of this method of education that ambition and a desire of glory are necessary to excite young people to industry and that if we were to press upon them the doctrines of humility we should deject their minds and sink them into dullness and idleness but those people who say this do not consider that this reason if it has any strength is full as strong against pressing the doctrines of humility upon grown men lest we should deject their minds and sink them into dullness and idleness for who does not see that middle-aged men want as much the assistance of pride ambition and vainglory to spur them up to action and industry as children do and it is very certain that the precepts of humility are more contrary to the designs of such men and more grievous to their minds when they are pressed upon them than they are to the minds of young persons this reason therefore that is given why children should not be trained up in the principles of true humility is as good a reason why the same humility should never be required of grown men thirdly let those people who think that children would be spoiled if they were not thus educated consider this could they think that if any children had been educated by our blessed lord or his holy apostles their minds would have been sunk into dullness and idleness or could they think that such children would not have been trained up in the profoundest principles of a strict and true humility can they say that our blessed lord who was the meekest and humblest man that ever was on earth was hindered by his humility from being the greatest example of worthy and glorious actions that ever were done by man can they say that his apostles who lived in the humble spirit of their master did therefore cease to be laborious and active instruments of doing good to all the world a few such reflections as these are sufficient to expose all the poor pretenses for an education in pride and ambition paternus lived about two hundred years ago he had but one son whom he educated himself in his own house as they were sitting together in the garden when the child was ten years old paternus thus began to him the little time that you have been in the world my child you have spent wholly with me and my love and tenderness to you has made you look upon me as your only friend and benefactor and the cause of all the comfort and pleasure that you enjoy your heart i know would be ready to break with grief if you thought this was the last day that i should live with you but my child though you now think yourself mighty happy because you have hold of my hand you are now in the hands and under the tender care of a much greater father and friend than i am whose love to you is far greater than mine and from whom you receive such blessings as no mortal can give 
that god whom you have seen me daily worship whom i daily call upon to bless both you and me and all mankind whose wondrous acts are recorded in those scriptures which you constantly read that god who created the heavens and the earth who brought a flood upon the whole world who saved noah in the ark who was the god of abraham isaac and jacob whom job blessed and praised in the greatest afflictions who delivered the israelites out of the hands of the egyptians who was the protector of righteous joseph moses joshua and holy daniel who sent so many prophets into the world who sent his son jesus christ to redeem mankind this god who has done all these great things who has created so many millions of men who lived and died before you were born with whom the spirits of good men that are departed this life now live whom infinite numbers of angels now worship in heaven this great god who is the creator of worlds of angels and men is your loving father and friend your good creator and nourisher from whom and not from me you received your being ten years ago at the time that i planted that little tender elm which you there see i myself am not half the age of this shady oak under which we sit many of our fathers have sat under its boughs we have all of us called it ours in our turn though it stands and drops its masters as it drops its leaves end of chapter eighteen part one recording by robert hoffman